I, I want to be a part of a church where we experience God in a personal and powerful way. I, I, I don't like religion. I don't like to be religious. I don't like just to sing songs and just preach messages and, and do the little church thing. I want to experience God in a real way that changes my life. You know, and, 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 I, and I know that if, if you've experienced that in your life, there is a, a desire within you that, that makes you want to have more of that. And sometimes we, 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 we don't continue to uh, pursue God, and, and, and the less that we pursue God, the more religious that we actually become. You know, it's quite possible to sit right in the church service week after week after week and backslide. Did you know that? You know, it's, it's quite possible to, to become so... Uh, caught up in just the, the religious words and the religious actions that you can kind of become, you know, just, you know, just the status quo, just lukewarm, stale, you know, no true passion or hunger for God whatsoever. And, and I don't know what, what facilitates that, but for me, it's unacceptable because I, I, I want to know God. God is knowable, and that's the thing that blows my mind more than anything Terry, is that I can know God. I mean, do, I mean, if you can just grasp that, that God is knowable, but yet he's unsearchable, it will blow your mind. I know we were singing there a while ago about falling more in love with God. You know, God, you know, we wouldn't even love God. And I don't know why I'm sharing this, but because I got a message. But, you know, we wouldn't even love God if God didn't pour his heart, his love in our hearts in the first place. The Bible says the Holy Spirit pours the love of God in our hearts. And it says that we love God. Why? Because he what? And so when, when, when God gives you a revelation of his love and you're able to receive that revelation of God's love, then you're able to turn that around and reciprocate that back to God in, 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 in a very personal and powerful way. And, you know, Carrie, you know, she was singing, you know, I want to fall more in love with you. The truth is, if, if, if you begin to ask God for greater revelation of his love for you, he will pour that love in you, and he'll transform you. It'll change the way that you worship, the way that you live, the way that you talk, the way that you give. It'll change everything about you, and it will want, it'll cause you to want to express that love that you have for God more. Now, if you have no desire to truly and passionately express your love for God is probably because you're lukewarm. And lukewarmness is a very, very dangerous position to, to find yourself in. And so, anyway, I, I, I don't know why I said that, but, you know, it was just, it was just, it was just there. So you, you get that one for free. But one of the things that Clay didn't mention is, Clay is going to be preaching this whole week. We're at flat. Flat Creek Church of the Brethren. And it is in Flat Creek. <laughs> so basically what you do, you go out of this driveway, you turn right, and you keep going until Jesus returns. But, but the Lord will lead you there. If, you, if you're really spiritual, the Lord will lead you by His Spirit. You know, you, you don't even have to know the address. Say, Lord, I'm going to follow you here because I know that this, you're with Clay and, 
and God, I want to be there. So, but anyway, you, you can ask Clay, you know, maybe more about the directions. I've, I've not been there, but he's going to be preaching this whole week, uh, Monday through Friday. You preaching Saturday too? Monday through Friday at seven o'clock. And so, if you guys uh, have the opportunity to go out and, and help support him, I know that would be be great. Um, so, uh, and Clay mentioned next week is going to be uh, Easter Sunday. And, and, you know, if more people are going to be open to come to church next week than probably any other time of the year. So I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that, that you guys have been praying for your prayer of three and that you're going to be inviting people because, again, another way that you can tell if you're becoming religious that you don't invite anybody to come to church. You know, because when you don't think of nobody else but yourself, you don't invite anybody. You know what I'm saying? So I want to encourage you to take inventory of, uh, can you put that Oiko slide up there? Jeff, I, I know I just threw you right out of whack there, but if you can't, it's all right. But, but you know, we, we, we put this up here. You know, it's every Christian has at least 20 people that they already know that they're in a relationship with that are lost. And those 20 people you'll find in those five categories, family and friends, those that you have things in common with, those that live in the same neighborhood, those you work with, and those that you're in regular contact with. So everybody here knows about 20 people that don't know Jesus you're already in relationship with that you don't have to be afraid to ask to come to church next week. And I promise you, if you take the time to do that, you know, we'll pack this place out and have to add seats, and I'm hoping that that's exactly what's going to happen next week. So I want to encourage you to make sure that you do that and, and so that you go out and that you have to act out your faith. And one way of doing that is simply going and, and asking and inviting people to come. So with that being said, I want you to go ahead and turn over to the book of Mark, Mark chapter number 6. Last week, we, we, we kind of gave an introduction to the series on, on daring faith, the key to miracles. And last week, we talked about what happens when we have faith. And then we compared... Two ways to look at life and yourself and, and God and circumstances. And we talked about what it was like to look through eyes of fear. And we talked about what it looked like, uh, what, it, what it's like and what happens when we look through eyes of faith. There's a big difference between the two. And, and so it's important that, that you understand that God is challenging all of us to take a step of faith. To, to not just remain where we're at. And a lot of times the reason we don't do what we know God has called us to do is because that we look through eyes of fear. But fear will keep you out of the promised land. Fear will keep you right where you're at. And I'm telling you something, there's a lot of people that you are on the border of the promised land looking in, but you're never going to enter in until you get the fear off of your life. Until you stop looking through the eyes of fear, the promised land will always be within eyes distance of you, but you will never enter in, and you will die in the place that God never intended. You were not, never destined to die in the wilderness. But you know what? There was 600,000 people, if you counted women and children, almost a million, two million people, some people say, that came up out of Egypt. And out of those two million people that came out of Egypt that God was bringing into the promised land, do you know how many of the two million actually entered in? Two. So basically, if you, there's a one in a million chance that you actually enter in to the fullness of the promise that God has for your life. And the danger is that you don't get whatever is keeping you back out of you so that you can step in. It was never God's will for them to die in the wilderness. 
It was God's will for them to go into the promised land. So we talked about what happens when we have faith. And today we're going to talk about uh, how to prepare for a miracle. Mark chapter number 6, starting at verse number 34, it says, And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them, because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. When the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and already the hour is late. Send them away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. Verse 37, but he answered them and says, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? But he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he commanded them that they all sit down in groups in, green gra- in the green grass so that they sat down in ranks of hundreds and fifties. And when they had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to sit before them. And the two fish was divided and he divided them among them all. So they all ate and were filled and they took the 12 baskets full of fragments of the fish Now, those who had eaten the loaves were about 5,000 men. How to prepare for a miracle. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you speak to us today. Holy Spirit, infuse this place with a supernatural atmosphere where faith arises in every heart that we may break free from where we are now and that we may go to that place in which you've called us. Lord, we have a discontent with where we are and who we are. And Lord, we can't change ourselves. We can't change our circumstances. But we look to you because, God, you can do all things. And all things are possible to those that believe. And God, today we believe. We believe the best is yet to come. We believe your plan. We believe your purpose. We believe your will. We believe in your ways. And so, God, today, speak to us. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, now, what I'm going to do in this first part, I'm just going to explain to you what Daring Faith is and what the Daring Faith campaign really is is, is all about. And this is what we're going to be focusing on for the next couple of weeks. Now, next week is going to be Easter Sunday, as we've already said. And what we're going to do next week is we're going to launch in the first day what we're calling our Daring Faith Campaign. And what I want you to know is this. Other than the 30-plus churches that we have helped to plant, and other than the 4,000 people uh, that have been reached with the gospel in the unreached people group areas of Eastern Africa... Other than that, what we are about to attempt to do as a congregation is the most significant thing that I and you have ever been a part of as a corporate body. Now, I don't say that lightly. I don't say that just to be saying words. Now, the truth is, I've only felt the way that I feel concerning this Daring Faith campaign one other time since I've been a pastor of this church. 
This is the second time that I've actually felt in my spirit what I feel right now in 12 years since the conception of this church. And again, I don't say that this lightly. I don't say this for the purpose of just, um, you know, trying to inspire you. I'm tired of inspiring people. I want to empower people and impart into people the faith that God has for them so that we can go to that next level. And I can say this with 100% assurance. I'm 100% confident that this Daring Faith campaign is exactly what God is calling us to do. So with that being said, let's go ahead and ask the first question. What is a Daring Faith campaign? Now, you can look in your outline, and there'll be some stuff up here on on the screen, but a Daring Faith campaign is a two-month focus on growing, sowing, and going in faith. It's a two-month campaign of growing, sowing, and going in faith. Now, let's let's talk a little bit about what the Bible says about growing. Now, every one of us know that God expects our our, our, ourselves to grow spiritually, right? Nobody is in disagreement with that. Is this making a lot of echoing? N- nobody is in disagreement concerning that God wants us to grow spiritually as a person, right? We're all on the same page there. God not only wants us to grow, God expects us to grow. We talked all about that last week. But the Bible says in 1 Corinthians or 1 Peter chapter 3, Verse number 18, or 2 Peter 3, 18, it says that we're to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 2 says that we are to earnestly desire the sincere milk of the word that we may grow thereby. And then it says here in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, notice what it says here. And as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord... So walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith. So many people in this church are not established in the faith. And what I mean by that is I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm just saying that you do not have an understanding of the foundational doctrinal beliefs of what the Bible teaches about the Christian faith. If I were to ask you, if you were saved, most of you would say, yes, I'm saved. If I were to ask you, can you give me scripture that tells me how you know you were saved, then the majority of people wouldn't be able to do that. And for those of you that do not know how to scripturally go and and bring to, to somebody the foundational understanding of what it means to be saved, How do you know that you really are saved? I'm convinced, and I agree with Billy Graham, the greatest mission field in America is inside the local church. You can spend your entire life in church and still go to hell. That we don't, you know, listen, we want people to feel welcome, but we don't want people to feel comfortable in their sin. We don't want people to feel comfortable in a backslidden, sinful condition that causes them to become delusional and deceived that things are okay when things are not okay. Listen, things are not okay for a lot of people. Things are not okay for a lot of people in here. 
And it's not okay not to be okay. I want you to know something. There is something that that you need to know. It's not just a feeling. It's not just attending church. It's not water baptism. It's not signing a membership book. It's not participating in the singing of a song. It is a true encounter with a person. It is my desire that every one of you, adults, youth, and children, have a personal and powerful relationship with God. Listen, I guard my children on this stuff. Now listen, I I, I do not want my children to be raised in church just so they can feel comfortable being churchy. I asked them, I said, are you a Christian? Do, Do you really know that you're saved? I don't want you to come and just patty cake and play games and do arts and crafts. And I'm not saying any of that stuff is bad. I'm just saying it is possible for you to become just a really good church person and still be lost. Listen, I want my children to know Jesus Christ in a personal and powerful way. And I'm going to do everything within my power to guard them against becoming religious. So daring faith is about stepping out of a religious condition and into a genuine spiritual condition where you encounter God in a personal way in just the ordinary simple things of life. Listen, we ought to be encountering God and seeing God working on life every single day. Now some of us were thinking, well, that's just way, that's so far-fetched. No, God's working every day. God is on the move every day. Where's he at? Not in here, he's out there. A lot of people think that it's just about the building. Do I want God to be in this building? Yes, but I'm more concerned about how you and what you do when you go outside of this building. Listen, the truth is, you know, the the quality of the service that we have on Sunday is not determined by how much we enjoyed it, but it's determined by how the way, how the Christians that live in or, or in this service live their lives outside these walls. If, if we really had a good church service, you'd be a different person on Monday. And that's what, that's what we, we want. Daring faith is about experiencing God in this kind of a way. Second thing, what does the scripture say about sowing? It says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly reaps sparingly. Whoever j- sows generously will also reap generously. And what God is saying here is that I want you to grow in generosity. He said, I want you to grow in generosity. And listen, you cannot become like Jesus without learning how to be generous. Now, generous, generosity is not just money. I mean, money is just one element, being generous with your time. Generous toward the poor. Generous toward those that are in need. Generous toward those that don't have. Generosity is much more than just financial. And it says, whatever you sow, you'll reap. And so whatever you're sowing every single day, if you sow nothing today, you'll reap nothing tomorrow. And the reason some of us are just so stale and dry and, and, and so, you know, just, you know just, just tired of everything is simply because we're not sowing anything into anybody else whatsoever. Listen, I promise you, you lead one person to the Lord, you will radically change just like that. If some of y'all's husbands come Sunday and get saved, listen, you'll be a different woman. If some of y'all's wives, if some of your children, listen, listen, all it takes is one encounter. We've got to change everything. 
And so daring faith is about stepping into those things. The third thing is this, is going. You know, again, this is simple, basic, you know, Christianity 101. Matthew 28, 19 says, Go therefore make disciples of all nations. Matthew 16, 15 says, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Luke 14, 23 says, Go into the highways and the byways and compel them to come. The question is, listen, are you going? Those scriptures directly connect growing and going together. You know, you can't grow in your faith if you don't go in your faith. And a faith, listen to me, and a faith that's not touching somebody else probably has not touched you in the first place. I paused for an amen, it didn't come, it's all right. Is your faith touching anybody else? If it's not, the question is, has it ever touched you in the first place? Because let me tell you something. When somebody gets saved, the first thing they want to do is go tell everybody what happened. Is that what you do? And if you don't, why not? And does that concern you? And if you're not, then that's what daring faith is. Is all about growing, giving, and sowing are all directly connected to living a life of faith. And we learned last week without faith, it's impossible to please God, right? So that, that's, what, that's what daring faith is. N- number two, why are we doing this? What, why, why, why are we even doing this campaign in the first place? Because everything that God does in your life, He does by grace through faith. Everything that God does, he does by grace through faith. And right now is the time for this church to start growing spiritually and numerically and become the church that God intends for us to be. But here's the truth. None of that stuff is going to happen until every single one of us that are here and that are normally here understand the absolute necessity of putting your faith into practice. If you're not putting your faith into practice, then this is the way that it's going to be for you for the rest of your life. But I refuse to be that way. I refuse to accept that. I refuse to pastor a church that that is what they accept as normal. You know, so you're going to be uncomfortable for a little bit. You're going to be stretched But you know, we don't grow in places of comfort. We grow in places where we are challenged and then respond to that challenge. You know, last week we talked about, you know, the the different levels of faith. How the scripture says we are to add to our faith. How that God expects our faith to increase over time. You know, Jesus talked about having no faith. He talked about having little faith. He talked about great faith. James talks about having dead faith. And listen, that's why our verb of the month is the word at. The Bible says faith without works is dead. Another translation says faith without corresponding action is dead. Faith is more than a mental acknowledgement that you believe. Faith is demonstrated through a lifestyle of action. You take the Word of God, you receive what it says, and then you act upon what it tells you to do. Whose whose thoughts are in this book right here? God's thoughts, right? When you begin to put these thoughts in your mind, who do you begin to think like? 
When you begin to apply the things that are written in this book into your life, who do you begin to think and act like? That's what it means to be a disciple. That's what it means to follow God. When you read the Bible, you, you don't read it and say, oh, he must be talking about somebody else. And believe me, I've read some scriptures that I wish wouldn't even in there. I was talking to somebody Saturday. I guess well, it was yesterday. And I said, you know what? You know, I read the scripture where it says that, that Jesus learned obedience through the things which he suffered. And I remember reading that for the first time, and I thought to myself, wow, I wish that would even in there. I mean, so if Jesus learned obedience through the things which he suffered, listen, I know that I'm no better than him, then I understand there's going to be some hard times coming in my way. But you know what? I'm going to serve God anyways. You know, I know a lot of people know my condition and how bad things have been, but I'm going to just set the record straight here right now. You know what? I have never forgotten the condition that my life was in when Jesus came and saved me, okay? And if he never does another thing for me, I still believe he's a healer. I believe he is a deliverer. I believe he is a savior. I believe he can do anything that he wants to do anytime he wants to do it. But if he doesn't do anything else for me, I'm going to serve him anyways. If I have to limp, if I have to crawl, if I have to climb, no matter what it is, I didn't come to Jesus for benefits. I didn't come to Jesus so that I could get all this extra stuff and blessings and blah, 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 blah. Listen, I was dead in my trespasses and sin. I was hell bound. I was strung out. And I was in the stronghold of addiction. And if he don't do another thing for me, if I hurt for the rest of my life, and I know I'm not going to, my mind is made up, I'm going on with Jesus come hell or high water. Even, listen, even if it cost me my life. Jesus is worth dying for. But he is worth so much more than dying for. He is worth living for. And I'm going to live for him. For the rest of my life. I don't have a plan B. He is my plan A and I don't have a plan B. And regardless of the struggle, I'm following Jesus. Now listen to what the Bible says about faith. It says, anything that is not done in faith is sin. That's one I wish wasn't in there too. I'm thinking, how much? I wonder how much of our, book, of, of our thought processes, and when I, when I share things like that, I wonder how much unbelief and doubt pop up in your mind, and you're thinking, that's too good to be true. Sinful. That sinful thinking. Why? Whatever's not of faith is. So if your first thought is a negative, I can't do this, you know, whatever, that's pie in the sky, blah, blah, blah. If, if you are battling those thoughts, you have to understand you have sinful thoughts in your mind because, listen, God's not a man that he should lie. And what he's done somewhere else, he can do here. And what he's done for others, he can do for you. And what he's done in the past, he can do today. And if that don't excite you, there's something seriously, seriously wrong. So let's go on to the next one. Now, here's, there's three purposes for this Daring Faith campaign. All right? This is, this is the purpose behind why we're doing it. Number one, 
Number one, we're going to advance our spiritual maturity. Now listen, if you will commit to the things that we're going to be talking about during this, uh, this campaign, I promise you, you will grow more than any other period of time in your life. If you will commit, there's a big difference between saying, yeah, it sounds good, amen. The rubber meets the road when you commit. It costs you your life. It costs you something. But I don't know what you signed up for when you give your life to Jesus. But if you meant it when you give your life to Jesus, you don't belong to yourself anymore. And as a pastor, it's my responsibility to, ta- to attack your comfort zone and get you up out of that comfort zone because you can't grow there. You can't grow when you're comfortable. And growth oftentimes is uncomfortable. And so, you know how muscle is developed? You know, muscles develop by putting pressure on it and stretching it and then depleting it so, so completely that the muscle breaks. And once that muscle breaks, guess what happens? It can grow back bigger, see? I was talking to Rich about that earlier this morning. I ain't going to tell you what I said to him, but I'm just saying. But muscle is developed by putting pressure on it, by putting weight on it, by stretching it. Sometimes it hurts. You ever seen a weightlifter? That's the only way. Look, you, you can't, you can't look, you can't develop muscle and look good at the same time. You can't develop spiritual muscle and look good at the same time either. And a lot of you, you you're looking really good this morning, I tell you. But spiritually you're weak. And you can't tolerate that anymore. God's calling us to a new place. He's calling you to a to a new place. Look, look what it says here. He says, when your faith is tested, your endurance has had a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be strong in character. I love this last statement. What does it say? Listen, that is what I want for you. Why are we doing diary faith? Because I want you to be ready for anything. I wasn't expecting this thing with my neck and my shoulder and all this stuff, but you know what? I'm ready for it. I might whine and cry a little bit when it hurts real bad, but I ain't giving up. I'm here today. My hands have been lifted and hurt the whole time, but he's worthy. He's worthy. I don't base what I do and what I say on how I think and how I feel. I got a relationship with God. I know what he's done for me. He's worth it. So when your faith has been tested, you know what? You can be ready for anything. So you know what we're going to do over the next few weeks? We're going to put some pressure on you. We're going to put some weight on you. We're going to stretch you, not in a negative, harsh, you know, beat down way. But you know what? We are going to afflict your comfort. And we're going to comfort the afflicted. Are you with me? Can you handle this? There won't be nobody here next week. But that's the disclaimer. Number two, 
I love this. Why are we doing daring faith commitment? Number two, to, to enhance our relational unity. You notice how I like to do the rhymes? You ever notice that? I just love that stuff, you know. Advance spiritual maturity. Enhance relational unity. Well, that sounds good, don't it? Well, what in the world does that mean? That means we're going to get closer as a spiritual family. Why are we doing daring faith? Because we need to be closer to each other than, than what we really are. You know, during this daring faith, family's going to get closer. Church family is going to get closer. Our relationships are going to get closer. Now, how do we know that's going to happen? You know how I know it's going to happen? Because we're going to see some miracles. There's going to be more testimonies like Shauna's. And you know what we're going to do? We are going to be able to rejoice with others for the miracle that they've been believing God for. And you know what? When you share the joy of a miracle together and you celebrate the joy of an answered prayer together, guess what? You get closer. Listen, I, I, I'll never forget some of the things that I've seen happen in people's lives that were miraculous to answered prayer. Amazing thing. And you know what? I'll never, and, I'll, I'll, and no matter how far away that we are, from each other, you know what? We can find that one thing that will bring us back together just like this in a moment. You know why? Because God was in it. So how do I know we're going to go? Because we're going to see some miracles. Here's another thing. We're going to share some experiences together. We're going to see some miracles. We're going to share some experiences. And guess what? We're going to create some memories. You know what this whole thing is all about to me? To me, it's all about me getting to share the journey with you. That's what this thing's about to me. I don't care what people think of me. I know that there's a million preachers that are better preachers than I am. And I know that they've got churches that are a lot bigger than mine is. And I know that, you know what, they've got a lot more money than I have. And you know what? I don't care because it's not about them. It's about you. To me, this is about me getting to share the joy of the journey we have together. And listen, if we'll commit ourselves to the journey, God will do some special things. And you know what? We'll bond. I, I remember when, when we first pastored, and Rachel, you know, she, we had Jessa. She was pregnant with Leah. And, and, you know, she said, you know, Donald, I can't be the typical pastor's wife. I can't lead a ministry. I can't lead a small group. You know, I, I'm trying to take care of these children. You know what I told her? I said, I don't care. I don't care if you're the, the typical pastor's wife. I don't care if you lead a ministry. I don't care if you lead a small group. All I'm asking you is that you would take the time to grow relationally with the people. Because I believe God has called us to be here. And I don't believe God called us to be here to do nothing. I believe God is going to allow us to experience some very special things. And I want you to be there with the people when those special moments happen. Because I believe God is about to do something great. That same feeling I had when I first started pastoring this church so many years ago is the same exact feeling that I have right now. And I'm telling you right now, we are going to grow closer as a family. Because we're going to share some experiences. We're going to see some miracles. And we're going to create some memories. All that stuff brings us together. Now, some of you, you're trying to, you know, you're battling that religious mindset. You're thinking, oh, that sounds, that sounds all good. I'm just telling you, take it to the bank. 
Now, whether you're a part of it or whether you're not a part of it, I don't know. It determines whether you're going to look through eyes of faith or look through eyes of fear. But God's going to do something incredible. I know it in my heart. Here's another way I know that we're going to grow closer together. Because God is going to, he's given us an assignment, okay? And when people share a common vision, and they work on a common goal, and when they give to a common cause, and they pray for a common reason, it brings us together. And i give you the scripture reference in Acts chapter 2. You know, the Bible says that these people, the early church, that they were in one heart and one spirit. Why? Because they shared everything they had with each other. Some of us, we come to church, and we sing the songs, and we do the, the, the meet and greet time. And we rush as fast as we can to get home so we can run into the, the, you know, the garage, throw the garage door down, open up the door, leads into the living room, slam that door, and run to the, the bedroom or to the couch or to the upstairs room so that we can get on our cell phones or iPads or televisions and be there alone by, by ourselves. We need delivered. This is, this is about us and following him. And being together and sharing some things and seeing some things and doing some things together and working together to make a difference in eternity. Listen, I, I about broke down in tears when I just read this last report. Listen, I mean, you, you got to grasp this. You, know, you have been able to be a part of planning more than 30 churches that have led to the gospel being preached to thousands and thousands, and led 4,000 people who'd never heard the name of Jesus to Christ. You, that's the thing. That's what this church is built on. Now, we might be totally disconnected from it, but it's fresh every day for me. You know why? I've seen their faces. I've been there. I've looked at them. And I'm telling you right now, the best days are still yet ahead. So we're going to advance Enhance relational union. Number three, we're going to finance our local and global ministry projects through an offering and through a 36-month giving pledge. Now, let me just break this down right quick, and then I'm going to get into the, actually the message. You're thinking, oh, Lord. Now, listen. We're going to finance all current and future local and global missions projects through an offering and a 36-month giving pledge that we'll be receiving in a couple of months. Now, this is the first time in the 12-year history that we've existed as a church that we've ever done anything like this. And the reason why we're doing this now is because God has given us a permanent home. We are now settled. We're not moving from place to place. We move from the Little Caesars building to the feed store to the strip mall and now to the school, and we, and we actually own. And it's an incredible story that we'll share with you in another message, but, but, but we're settled now, and now it's the time to move. Now it's the time to grow. Now is the time for us to focus in on what God has called us to do and start getting the job done. But this is the first time 
in the 12-year history that we've ever done anything like this. And so since we, God's provided us a home, it's time to do this now. And I will say this much. What we are about to do may, may very well be the most significant thing that you have ever been a part of in your life. You know why? Because what we are about to do will far outlast your lifetime. What we are about to do is going to far outlast my lifetime. What we are about to do is actually going to make a difference in eternity. And God's given us a plan. And you're thinking, what in the world is that? I'm glad you asked. Now, anytime you start talking about money, people get uncomfortable and they turn themselves off. I can tell you this much. There's nobody here that can point a finger at me and say, you know what, you're all about money. You don't get hounded. You don't get beat down. You don't get manipulated. You don't get any kind of, of pitch. We tell you what the Bible says, and we let God lead you into what you need to do. Amen? But there's some people that, that they get turned off. And the reason that people get turned off when you talk about giving and finances is because their heart's not in the right place. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your... Now, you know what? I don't particularly care a bit about Microsoft. But if all of a sudden I went and bought some Microsoft stock, guess what would happen? I would kind of start getting a little more interested in how Microsoft is doing, Right? I'd be a little bit more, you know, I'd be, I'd be getting on, you know, the, the stock market. I'd be like, what, like, almost every day. Why? Where your treasure is, there your... Now, I don't particularly feel close to Apple. I own a few Apple products. But if I had Apple stock, guess what would happen? Overnight, my interest would immediately change, and I would begin to see how well that Apple is doing. What I'm telling you is this. We're going to be asking you to give something that is far greater than Microsoft can give you, far greater than Apple can give you. We're going to ask you to invest in the kingdom of God. And Jesus said, lay your treasures up in heaven where moth and rust cannot corrupt. The reason a lot of times we're not interested in kingdom stuff is because we have nothing invested in it. The reason we don't care maybe, you know, what goes on in church is simply because we have nothing invested in it. We just come and sit. But when you get invested, when you invest financially, when you invest with your time, all of a sudden what happens here becomes increasingly more important. And what I'm saying is we're going to stretch you in that area. Let me tell you what we're going to do right quick. Here's just some of the goals. We're gonna, we'll be more detailed later, okay? Here's what we're going to do, all right? In the next three years, and that's how long this campaign lasts, okay? Our goal is to see 300 people give their lives to Jesus in the next three years. Okay? That's 100 people in a 12-month period of time, and you know what? That time starts next week. Guess what? You're going to bring them. And we're going to do events. And we're going to do outreaches. And we're going to do things that, that are going to be specifically designed to bring those people in.
Because, listen, we're going after souls. And what you're giving yourself to, what you're giving your finances to, are going to be the reality of somebody coming to know Jesus as a result of it. Right now, 4,000 people. Can you believe that? 4,000. You've never met before. But you financially given. And they're in heaven because you were faithful to help. And it's going to be greater than that in the future. So we're going to see that. Here's another thing. We have another goal of having all of our ministries fully staffed with volunteers. In other words, that there'll be no ministry department or leader that is struggling and on the verge of burnout because we have active membership involved in ministry. And you know where that starts at? Next steps. There's a place for you to get involved. And according to Scripture, you should be making a contribution in the body. Because the Bible says every joint supplies and it builds up the body. And for us to reach our potential, we've got to get more people active and involved in ministry. That's, that's another goal. Here's another. And you ready for this one? 75% of all our members being involved in ministry. Here's another one. We want to see triple the number of small groups that we presently have. And that's a very, very conservative thing. Here's one that, that you'll love. We're going to raise a million dollars in the next three years. I, I said, we're going to raise a million dollars in three years. And you're thinking, how in the world can, can we do that? Well, God's going to be involved in this. And the truth is, it's not nearly as difficult as what you think it is. It's not going to take as much as what you think it would take to raise a million dollars in three years. Currently, I'll just throw this at you. Currently, if our tithing offering just simply doubled, we'd raise over a million dollars in three years. So you take what your tithing offering is right now, you double that, guess what? we got a million bucks. I've asked this question, and, and I know that there's a lot of people that's not here, but if you were to accumulate all of the assets, properties, bank accounts, income, you know, all of the, how, much, how much wealth do you think that this group of people would actually produce? Multiple millions and millions of dollars of property, assets, and income exist sitting right here today. It's already here. You think a million dollars, and there's millions that's here. I'm not saying you got to go sell your house. I'm just saying the giving potential of the people in this room is far greater than what you think it is. And I'm going to say, we're going to learn how to be more generous. You know why? Because we've got work to do. So what are we going to do with a million dollars? I'm glad you asked that. You know what we're going to do? We're going to be debt free. I'll give you another chance. We're going to be debt free. You know what happens when you're debt free? You know what you can do when you're debt free? Anything you want. I just about shouted right then, but I held my composure. But a million dollars will do more than just cause us to be debt-free. We're going to give scholarships 
to high school seniors. And we're going to plant churches, okay? We're going to develop ministries that are going to help empower people to develop vocational skills. We're going to develop a spiritual job shop type thing. We're going to help people get employed, all right? Here's some, here's some other stuff. Let me throw this at you. You ready? I can't list all of it, but I'll list this much. We're going to invest in our city. Imagine if, say, for example, you know we do the, uh, uh, we do the first responders event, right? And you know what? Horse Creek Fire Department does not have everything. That, they don't even have the suits that they need to wear to respond to a fire. Imagine if we could simply go, hey, you know what? We're debt free. We just raised a million dollars. We've got income coming in. And listen, you know what? By that time, our church has doubled in size. And we just write a check. We go purchase that and we say, hey, you know what? We want you to know that City of Hope Church is a friend. We're going to do stuff like that. You know why? Because it's through that kind of generosity, sacrificial giving, and servanthood that the entire community changes their mind about how they view the church. And it's time that that kind of change happens, and that's why we're doing Daring Faith. All right. I'm not going to cover none of this stuff that's on here, all right? I'm skipping to the last thing. We may come back at it another time. So again, how do we prepare for a miracle? Okay? How, how do we do that? Now, in Mark chapter 6, and then get ready to come to music, not just yet, but I'm getting there. In Mark chapter 6, we see the most famous miracle Jesus has ever performed. Okay? And that is where he fed the 5,000 with two fish and five loaves, right? We just, we just read the story. And when you read this story, this story really, in summary, is about how Jesus takes a little bit and does a whole lot with it, okay? I mean, you could summarize that story of how he takes a little bit and he does a whole lot with it. And you will need to know what I'm about to tell you because for the rest of your life, you're going to need Jesus to take a little bit and do a whole lot with it, okay? Are you with me? We read the story. Jesus, they've been out. He's been teaching all day. They're nowhere near close to a McDonald's. Or I guess it would be McDavid's. They're nowhere close to get food. And so, you know, Disciples go to Jesus and you know, they say, listen, you need to send the people away so they can go to the other villages and go get them something to eat. And you know what Jesus says to them? Now listen, it's all right for us to stand back and look at this and say, well, look at them guys. But I mean, put it in perspective here. 5,000 people are starving to death, okay? They're hungry. And they don't have nothing but just a little bit to offer them. And he says to you, you're his disciple, right? You feed them. And so, in this story, basically Jesus asks them to do something that is totally, physically, humanly impossible. And so important is this story. It is the only miracle that is recorded in all four of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, 
John, okay? And, and, and if God tells you something four times, I think I can say with confidence that he wants you to get this. Are you ready to get this? Okay. So he says, and he says, you know what? Here's what I want you to do. You know, Jesus never performed a miracle to show off. He didn't do a miracle and say, did you see that? Look at me. I'm the man. His whole motivation for miracles was because he loved people. What did the Bible say? He saw those people and he was moved with compassion. His motivation is always love. But he also has another underlying purpose. And you know what? Every miracle has something to teach us about a spiritual truth. So what does this teach us? What does the story about the 5,000 loaves or five loaves feeding the... Or the yeah. The five loaves feeding 5,000 teach us about preparing for a miracle. Okay, you ready? Number one. First thing you've got to do if you're going to prepare for a miracle is that you've got to give Jesus what you have. You know, after the disciples searched and searched for food because Jesus told them to go, all they could come up with was two fish and five loaves. And the first principle you need to know is that God always starts with what I have. Did you know that God views your income not based on what you give, but what you keep? Let that marinate in there a little bit. It's not about what you give. It's about what you keep. You know the story about the widow and the mite, right? It wasn't about what she gave. What she gave was nothing. But what she kept was nothing as well. And he said what she gave was more than everybody else. So what do you have? God always starts with what you have. The truth is every miracle has a God part and a man part. And even though we may have a little, little is much when God gets involved. Because here's the thing that you need to understand about a miracle. A miracle has nothing to do with what you have and everything to do with who you have. A miracle has nothing to do with what you have and everything to do with who you have. And I promise you, when you've got Jesus, you've got everything you need, no matter what you have. But he will ask you to give him what you have, even if it's little. So give what you have to him. Now, here's the mistake that people make. The majority of people who are looking for a miracle are doing just that. They are looking for a miracle instead of looking for the miracle maker. That's what the disciples are doing. They don't know what to do. They're thinking, oh my gosh, how are we going to do a miracle? They just lost sight of Jesus. He's the one that's about to do this. And no matter what you need, when you've got Jesus, you've got everything that you need. But make sure that your focus is in the right place. Listen to this. When you're preparing for a miracle, then go ahead and come to music. God always starts with what you have. And the miracle that you need is directly connected to whether you're willing to give what you have to Jesus, whether it's little or much. Did you get that? You're thinking, what in the world did you just say? Listen. When you're preparing for a miracle, God always starts with what you have. What you have. And what you have is directly connected to the miracle 
And the miracle is determined by you willing to give Jesus what you have, whether it's little or small. So you need to stop calling yourself poor. You need to stop calling yourself weak. You need to stop calling yourself what you've been calling yourself because Jesus don't care about any of those things. He just wants to know, are you willing to give him what you have? And some of you think, I don't have anything worth giving him. Well, he wants that too. And the problem is there's part of us that we withhold from him that he's saying, listen, are you willing to give me what you have? Well, I don't have much. I've got baggage and I've got a history and I've got a rap sheet. I've got felonies. You know, I've got broken marriages. I've got divorces and I've got all this stuff. And you know what? I'm not, it's not worth giving to you. He's saying, are you willing to give it to me? If you want a miracle, you've got to give what you have to him and let him determine the value. And that's good. Number two, if you give him what you have, God will multiply it. So they all ate and were filled, and they took 12 baskets full of fragments of fish. And here's the principle. What you transfer to Jesus can be transformed by Jesus. Jesus can change anybody's life. And he can change any situation, but it won't happen until you give what you have to him. Once you give that to him, he multiplies it. The last thing's this. Nothing happens until you put what you have in his hands. You know, the most amazing thing about this story is that there's one little boy that had everything what everybody else wanted. I mean, he's actually the hero of the story. He's the only one in the group of 5,000, listen to me, that didn't need a miracle but he was the only one among the 5,000 that could be used by Jesus to give a miracle to everybody else. Think about that. He didn't need Jesus to multiply it. He had his lunch. He didn't need a miracle, but Jesus was wanting to make him a miracle. He had what everybody else wanted. And when Jesus asked him to the, for the two fish and five loaves, the boy willingly gave it to Jesus. Now, I love this. I'm going to challenge you to do this. I want you to go through the Gospels and read this story. And the most incredible thing about this story is the attitude this little boy has when he gives what he has to Jesus. Because in each one of the Gospels, it goes into to more details, and I don't have time to go into those. But the, you know what? He, it reveals the kind of attitude. Listen. It reveals the kind of attitude this little boy had when Jesus asked him to sacrificially give what he had for the sake of others. And here's what the Bible says about him. It said he gave willingly, cheerfully, immediately. Matthew said that he gave very quickly and volunteered. Boy, that'd be a miracle for some people just to volunteer. Anyway, um... The incredible thing is, as soon as this little boy saw there was a need, he said, here, Jesus. Immediately. 
God, make us like this little boy. God, make us like this little boy. That no matter what you ask of us, our attitude would be, we'll do it willingly, cheerfully, immediately. Now, here's the principle. God will use whatever you give him. Do you really think that it was about the two fish and the five loaves? So let me ask you this. I wonder what kind of attitude that you would have if Jesus asked you to give him what little you had in order to help others. We're getting ready to see in daring faith. And your attitude is critically important whether you receive a miracle or not. Stand with me. You know, God can and He does perform miracles independently of people. You don't need me every wants without me. But did you know, and again, if you read the scripture, do you know the primary way that God performs miracles is through people? God loves to work through ordinary people. While people wait for God to do for them, God is waiting on them to let Him do something through them. So let me ask you a question. Are you waiting for God to do something for you or through you? And I submit to you, it's quite possible that the the reason why God hasn't done something for you is because if He did it for you, you wouldn't let Him do it through you. Because we don't care enough about other people that are in need for Him to do that. And so during daring faith, God doesn't just want to do miracles for you. He wants to do miracles through you. And like this little boy who gave what he had, he gave it to Jesus, he blessed it, he broke it, he blessed it, then he multiplies it. God wants to do that in so many ways in your life. You know what? This miracle is so appropriate for our church right now. You know why? Because Manchester, Clay County, Southeastern Kentucky and even the world is full of people that are spiritually starving to death. And you know what God is saying to you? Do you know what God is saying to City of Hope Church? You feed them. You feed them. Outside these walls are people that are spiritually starving to death and on the verge of dying spiritually. We're waiting on God to do something. And God is saying, I'm waiting on you. You feed them. Well, I don't have much. Here, Jesus. 
I'm not educated. I can't speak really good. I, I'm a little awkward. I'm afraid of failing. I got a reputation. He says, Give me what you have. Father, I pray, God, that you would make us like this little boy. The God that we would willingly, cheerfully, Lord, and immediately respond to you as you give us the command. Lord, there are miracles in the making that are just on the other side of our acts of obedience. Because when we step out in faith and we act out on obedience to what you've told us to do, you do miracles. And God, I pray that you put the heart in us of this little boy that was willing to sacrificially give everything he had for others that are in need. And God, if there be any selfishness in us, I pray, God, that you root it out, that you drive it out. Because God... What good are we if we're selfish, if we're self-centered? We can't help anybody. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and today God's speaking with you and dealing with you, let me just ask you, if you're lost and you want to give your life to the Lord this morning, would you shoot your hand up and say, that's me, I'm lost, I know I need to give my life to Jesus. To the rest of you, how many of you are willing to say, here, Jesus, Take what I have. What we're going to do at this time is, if you've got your prayer three cards, I'm just going to invite you just to come. Just lay these on the altar, and I just want you to stand up here. We're going to pray over these. Even if you didn't bring one, you can still come up and pray for people. And we've got to get out of this awkwardness, afraid to move around. Come on. Even if you didn't bring it, come on. We're going to pray for some people. Just get out of your comfort zone. We don't grow in comfort. We're just simply praying for folks. Every one of us have family members and friends that don't know Jesus. And we should be carrying them as a burden on our hearts. And in the business of life, sometimes it's so easy, just like we said in the story, that you know what? We want God to do something for us, but not through us. You know what? God wants to use you. I mean, the greatest miracle that Jesus could ever perform is the salvation of a loved one. Wouldn't that be a great miracle? You remember what it was like? When he saved you. If not, let's get back to that. Because you know why? Returning back to that first love is, is, is what Christianity is all about. Loving Jesus with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Let's pray together. Father, there's those that are laying on this altar here. That we know. That if they don't repent of their sins. If they do not turn from their current lifestyle 
and surrender to you that if they die, if they perish, there is an eternal place called hell. But Lord, hell wasn't created for these folks. They were created for heaven. And God, we know that the enemy has blinded the eyes of those that are unbelieving. And right now we come against every spirit that is blinding them, that is keeping them, that is holding them back from turning and seeing you as the answer and the Savior of the world. And I pray, God, over the next seven days that you deal with them, that you would reveal the condition of their soul, that they would see their need for you. And that, God, that they would be awakened to the reality that there's a heaven and a hell, that there's God and there is Satan, that, Lord, that there is, there is eternity spent with you and then there's eternity separated from you. And I pray that you make the reality of that eternity, God, real to them. But, Lord, some of them are not so hardened. Some of them are hurt. Some of them are offended. Some of them have been hurt by church people. Some of them have been turned off by Christianity by the hypocrisy of the lives of the people in the church. And so, God, we ask you to forgive us. We don't want to be a stumbling block. And, God, that you would speak and that you would send somebody to cross their path that would be the bridge. Not build the bridge, but be the bridge that they can walk across and see that we all need you. Even when we're saved, we need you. And so, God, I pray for a harvest of souls this weekend. God, we're believing for a hundred people to give their life to you over the next 12 months. And I pray, God, that this Easter Sunday, that, Lord, that there would just be a miracle, a miracle take place. That husbands be saved and family members be saved and children be saved and co-workers be saved. And, and those that, Lord, that we, that we are in relationship, that they would be saved. Because now's the time. We can't put it off. We can't procrastinate. And give us the courage just to send an invite. Say, come. You told the disciples, go and see. Go and see what they had. You're telling us the same thing. Go and see. Father, today do only what you can do. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Go ahead and sing. Let's just continue to pray. Just continue to pray.